Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The new season's begun and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or any time goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of UIN's The West Ham Podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined, as always, by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Rashane Thomas. Hello, Rashane. How are you doing? Hi, Sam. I'm all good. Thank yourself. I'm good, thanks, mate. Uh, usually, um, we're sort of clucking for the football season to get started again and, it, and, and, the, and the summer seems so bleak. But as it happens, we've only got a week to go. It's been the blink of an eye. I, I, for one, hope that they somehow work out a way of keeping the summer break this short every year from now on, right? I know. I mean, for, the, for the next 12 months, we're going to have so much football. The Premier League, the Euros. Can't complain, really. <laughs> why, should, why should football ever stop? I mean, what's the point? There's got to be a way of making sure that every summer... Why don't they, like, for instance, always do the Champions League in a brilliant one-country knockout tournament in the summer? There there needn't be any gaps in football ever. I think it's a silly throwback to olden times. It's like the way that they used to not open pubs on a Sunday. It's like, you know... (laughs) That that that's we're not in a war anymore, right? You can have wall to wall entertainment. It's not like cinemas stop showing films for a few months in the summer. I just think one day we'll look back on this era and we'll tell like, as you know, that in the old days when I was a kid, they used to just stop playing football all summer. Isn't that weird? And you go, why? Oh, I don't know. It was just tradition. It was just something they did. Stupid, isn't it, Rashane? I definitely agree with you regarding like the one leg of fair Champions League. Things went so quick. You thought, oh, next game's here, next game's here, next final is the final. So yeah, definitely agree with you on that. Absolutely thrilling stuff. Right, so the season's back next week. West Ham have played a few friendlies over the last seven days. Um, and it occurred to me uh, when we're prepping for this, I, I thought to myself, well, this is actually the first time that David Moyes has had a decent proper amount of time to prepare his own West Ham team because he's had two spells and in both cases he's had to he's been thrown into a crisis situation and had to make the best of what he had at his disposal uh now he can go about making his own team um pursuing his own vision and that must be quite exciting. He's got his own coaching team in place. Stuart Pearce is back on board. It's quite exciting, isn't it? And and do you think that we're going to see many changes uh, in the season ahead from, from what we saw after lockdown? Well, in terms of personnel and players coming in, it doesn't seem likely because limited budget right now. But as you've seen in the game against Wickham and Ipswich Town with Moyes pretty much playing two different teams, it shows we do have strength and depth in, uh, in the squad. It's just a case of it being quality rather than quantity. You want players, if someone gets injured, for example, someone come in and still do a good job. But in the both matches, they good results. 5-1 against Wickham and 4-1 against Ipswich Town, so not bad at all. No, good performances. Um, few fresh faces. Unfortunately, not new signings, but returning players. Um, talking about Josh Cullen, 
Connor Coventry. Uh, and of course, the most exciting of all of our low knees returning to the club, uh, Grady Diangana. And all had decent games, by all accounts. Especially Diangana, he was brilliant against Ipswich Town. Okay, mm. we know it's rich our league one side in his pre-season, but still, he, he was really good. And what really impressed me uh, in that match was his understanding and his, his interplay with uh, Sebastian Allaire. I thought that was really good. When we think about why Allaire struggled last season, because he didn't have no service, only Bourne and Antonio were really the quickest to him. So it's really encouraging the fact that Diangana, you know, linked up well with him. And you know, sometimes when like a player comes back from loan or a player comes back from a long-term injury, the manager always says, oh, said players like a new signing. I know it's cliche, but I feel like in this scenario, it definitely applies to Diagana because he will feel like a new signing for West Ham. He will slot in perfectly in the left-hand flank, in my opinion. And providing he plays and gets a chance, I feel like he'll do well for us. Right now, we're offering listeners of this show the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. You can enjoy all of our great writing on the Hammers, including a recent article by Rashane on whether Grady Diangana is ready for the Premier League. Go to theathletic.com slash West Ham pod to sign up for a 30-day free trial. That's theathletic.com slash West Ham pod. It was a shame that we missed out on um, SA to Crystal Palace, but really what kind of message would it have sent to Diangana had we, we gone out and bought a player who, not exactly the same position or style, but another attacking player from the Championship, you know, Dan Garner would have thought, well, I did everything I could possibly do at West Brom last season and you've gone and signed someone else instead. So ultimately, I, I sort of see it as a blessing in disguise, the fact that we didn't quite get our acts together to sign Eze, don't you? I feel like, regarding Eze, I feel like his best position is as number 10. Right. I know you can play in the left and the right, but his best position is the number 10. And with number 10, obviously we saw Martin Noble play over there and do well, especially the Man United game as an example. We played really well there. But we got four nows. Yeah. Against Brentford, Plour nows played the number 10 role and he, he actually provided the assist for Yarmolenko's goal. So he's someone who can play there. So obviously I know fans are like, why are we not signing any players? Like it's so frustrating. Where's the investment? But if you, do, if you look into it, we do have players who are capable of playing like the left flank, as I mentioned in Diagana, or four nows and Noble for number 10. So we do have alternatives. What sort of formation do, does it look like he's going to go into the season with? The same sort of um, 4-2-3-1 that we ended last season with? Yeah, 4-2-3-1. That tends to be the formation Moyes' favoured. Uh, we saw it end last season and during pre-season as well against Wickham, Ipswich and Brentford. That's been the favourite formation. No Antonio, although he came on, didn't he? Um, and, um, and Rice missing. Can we read anything into the fact that Declan Rice was missing from the game? Rice is having a well-deserved break, so <laughs> no one should be worried. He's having a well-deserved break. He gave it his all last season, so there's absolutely nothing to worry about in terms of Rice it, Yeah, but it's peculiar. Why, why does Declan Rice get a break and the other players don't? Because Rice is our best player. <laughs> <laughs> Rice is our best player. If you're worth the, the best part of 80 to 100 million, you can come back whenever you want, as far as I'm concerned. Listen, uh, I was going to wait for us to get into the transfer news, such as it is. I mean, spoiler alert, there is no transfer news. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I was having a chat yesterday with, with a pal and, and he said he's got a real concern that I think a lot of people share that we're building up to letting Rice go quite late in this window to Chelsea. Chelsea seem to be conjuring money from a magic money tree and they've got everyone in their sights. It, it doesn't seem like this rumour is going to go away because of the fact that the players that we hoped we might be able to shift, 
such as Lanzini, Anderson and Yarmolenko have not attracted any bids. That means that the club, will, their only option will be to sell Declan Rice. This is a theory that is growing. People are getting nervous. It doesn't help that Declan Rice hasn't been playing in the friendlies. What do you think of that theory? I honestly feel like, it's, it's, in my opinion, it's been a bit of an overreaction. I don't feel like fans should worry at all. If it was a case where the season started and Declan Rice was still missing, then you know perhaps fans could have concern. But it is pre-season at the end of the day, so players are just trying to get fit. And as far as concerned, in terms of like the possibility of Declan Rice leaving, fans should should be optimistic in the fact that David Moyes will not have that. So just what I get from him from press conferences is that he is against selling Declan Rice. Mm. When I asked him, hey. You know, what's going to happen with Declan Rice's future? He was like, it's going to take the Bank of England money for Declan to go. Like, there's no way I'm having it if he leaves. And when you think about it, it would make no sense whatsoever for West Ham to sell Declan Rice right now. It would make no sense whatsoever. Right. The guy's 21, under contract. If you, fair enough, in two years' time, you're like, fair enough, you, you've given us a euro, we can let you go to a bigger club now. And who knows, in two years' time, you'll probably be worth even more. So yeah. financially, it doesn't make no sense to sell him right now whatsoever, in my opinion. Let's look at the team and how we think it might start against Newcastle and, and, and what what the season first few games of the season holds in store. So it looks like we're starting with that formation, that familiar formation. Um, well, let's go through the positions, mate, and, and look who we think should start in each position. Fabianski, I guess this, the, the number one shirt is still very matches, although there were some doubts. He, you know, he wasn't his sort of... He wasn't at his absolute very best towards the end of last season. There was even a couple of rumours that we were sniffing about a couple of other keepers. Obviously, we haven't got the money for that now. So I suppose he's guaranteed that that start in place, isn't he? Yeah, definitely guaranteed us to start the number one jersey for next season. Darren Randolph and David Martin are good goalkeepers, but with all due respect, they're not, they're not going to like challenge Fabianski for that number one jersey. So yeah, he's definitely a shoe in for the Is that a worry at all, though? I mean, again, you know, you look at the, our lack of funds. And in an ideal world, we would have a, a, a second keeper who would put Fabianski under some serious pressure, something that he hasn't had since he's been at the club. Yeah, in my opinion, it is a worry because you want to have a good number one and a good number two so that they're constantly mm. challenging each other each week. So that if you're like a Fabianski, you're making an error, you're thinking, oh my goodness, like my, my number one jersey is under threat right now. But if you're Fabianski, if you make a mistake, you know you're going to play the next game. Mm. If you look at, just an example, a club like Man United, and they have De Gea now, Dean Henderson. And you're thinking, like, who's the number one? Because mm. they're both so good. So, ideally, you'd like to have that sort of scenario at West Ham. But that's not the case right now, unfortunately. All right. Well, right back's been a problem for West Ham for a few years, in my opinion. And yet, all of a sudden, right at the end of the season, uh, a new hero emerged in Ben Johnson. Does he start the season at right back ahead of Fredericks, you think? A hundred percent. Because against uh, Brentford, Fredericks... Didn't look too good, if I'm being honest. Mm. Uh, we all know like Frederick's main strength is his pace, but when mm. it comes down to Frederick's in the final third, he either overhits the pass or he just makes two spots. He put he picks up the wrong teammate, in my opinion. So mm. and that's just been a regular theme during Frederick's time at West Ham. Plus, he's also injury prone. So in my opinion, it should be Ben Johnson at right back. As you mentioned, he had a really good end to the season. In my opinion a better version of uh, Jeremy Gekia for that fact. Mm. So, yeah, mm. definitely Ben Johnson. It's interesting though, isn't it? I mean, the fact that for so many years we were never we never felt like we'd solved the problem of right back and all of a sudden he's come from nowhere. We've only seen him in a few games. Let's hope he lives up to his potential, but it's going to be a very big season for him, isn't oh, it? Oh, 
And also, Sam, I want to give a I want to give a special mention to a young player, a young twenty three, is called Harrison Ashby. Obviously, right. he's young; he's got some time to go until he's in the first team picture. But I was at West Ham on in twenty three against Leighton Orient last week, and he looked really good. He's a right back. So, right. Okay. You know how last season it was uh, Zabaleta, Fredericks, and you know both Ben Johnson and, and Gekia trying to compete for the third uh, third choice yeah. spot. That could be Harrison Ashby of a season if we don't sign a right back. So he's one to yeah. look out for. I tell you what, the academy is really producing at the moment, isn't it? I mean, if you go back to to Declan Rice, and then you know you've got um, Diane Garner um, and Gakia, who has left now, but was another very solid graduate to come through. Johnson as well, and and I hear there's a few in the pipeline, so it, it is encouraging, and it's a happy. Coincidence, it's coincided with, with a period in which we were absolutely skint and can't afford to buy anyone. Yeah, you know the, you know the phrase, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Mm. That definitely applies to some of these players, especially Jamal. Obviously, I'm not going to try, you know, overhype and get carried away just yet because he's 16. But Jamal mm. Baptiste looks really good against Wickham, played the full 90 minutes and centre back. Centre back, yeah, centre back. Yeah. And he's really good. I mean, the club have high hopes for him and it seemed like he's a better version than Reese Oxford, which is <laughs> promising. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Now I've been hearing a lot about Jamal Baptiste. Also, great name. Sort of name yeah. that if I see it on <laughs> FIFA, when I'm just searching for a player and, I, you know, and I'm just looking around, you know, just idly scrolling in career mode. If I see someone called Baptiste, I'm interested, you know? 100%. <laughs> That's just my uh, scouting instincts there. Uh, okay, so the centre-backs... Uh, Diop and Ogbonna um, ended the season well. Got to start those two next season, right? Yeah, definitely start. I feel, I feel like we've formed a good partnership now, Bonner mm. and Diop. Barbrena mm. started against Brentford and yeah, he wasn't good. Another unconvincing performance from Barbrena. So yeah, he, he definitely shouldn't be first choice in, at centre-back. And we've also been linked with um, Shane Duffy, the, the Brighton defender. But yeah. in, in my opinion, he's not better than Diop or Bonner. So... No. Definitely a bother and deal for me. I sort of feel as if he wants someone that, that the Duffy link is that we're looking at people who could replace Balbuena as the backup centre back yeah. effectively. And and Duffy might be that guy. Plus Duffy is more in the sort of um Ginger Collins sort of mould, isn't he? <laughs> well yeah. what I mean is he's like a proper old fashioned British centre back. Diop and Ogbonna are both great players, but they are not that kind of when you just want when you when you're defending a, a one goal lead with 15 minutes left and you're looking for someone to come off the bench and just head everything um i think maybe he thinks you know and and if you look at david moyes he, he's always favored you know having a center back like that you know he had he had done didn't he at, um yeah. at everton yeah. who, who was fantastic for him and you sort of think he wants someone like that in his squad even if it's as the the, the center back on the bench and Balbuena is not really cutting the mustard. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like, and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop, and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. You won't need to leave the house. You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. 
Get started with Stitch Fix today and by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash irons right now. And make sure you use our show name to support our podcast. That's stitchfix.co.uk slash irons. I loved Cresswell when he first joined the club. I still rate him now. I think he's a good pro. I think he's still got a good cross, makes intelligent runs going forward. But I just think he he, uh, was a bit lacking defensively last season. I would say if we did conjure some money from nowhere, that would be the position we should look at first. Sam, on Saturday against Brentford, if there was one left back, he was absolutely brilliant. And the thing is, he wasn't wearing a West Ham jersey. It was Rico Henry for Brentford. Yeah. He was really good. Yeah. I mean, if, if Rico Henry, if that was his audition to David Moyes to say, hey, this is what I can do, he certainly passed with flying colours. That's how good he was. He was a constant threat going forward. He sort of fits the, the profile in terms of the players Moyes wants to bring in, you know, young, exciting players for the championship. And you look at it thinking, he could definitely improve West Ham's defence. Cresswell, he was, he was a right, but no, nothing special. And don't get me wrong, Cresswell, he's been a great center for West Ham. Great player for West Ham over the years, but he's getting old now. He's sort of, you've got to look at a long-term successor for I'd be, him. I'd be happy with Cresswell as our substitute left-back. I don't think he's so bad that we've got to like, you know, that you're looking to just shift him out of the club. But I think if we want to progress, we need two really good full-backs. Yeah. All, all the best teams have a couple of fantastic flying full-backs, Liverpool being the best example, you know, where... It's just they can attack as well as they can defend. And it's just an extra headache for the opposition if you've got two players who can do damage in the opposition half who are playing fullback. Now, Johnson looks, because he's young and athletic and quick, looks like he could be that guy down the right. Cresswell hasn't been that guy on the left for a long time. I saw Rico Henry's assist. I watched the highlights of yesterday's game. Rico Henry's assist um, for Brentford's goal was exactly the sort of thing we've been missing. I mean, he, he just he just burnt all the way down that wing, didn't he? And got inside the box and put over a perfect cross. 100%. And in terms of like forward play from like, someone like Cresswell, for example, he doesn't have the legs anymore to make those surgery runs on a consistent basis. The main thing is he didn't he didn't shut down crosses, did he? Not just, it, that, 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 there were so many crosses coming in from his side where he was way off where, where the cross was coming from. I can't remember the, the, the name of the Brentford ringer, but he just kept making runs in behind and he was having mm. so much success. Obviously, going forward, in terms of like forward runs, Masaraka can do it, but he's a liability in defence. He has been for quite some time now, so everyone, everyone knows that. It's common knowledge now. Everyone knows it, so yeah. Death for a priority for West Ham this summer, that's for sure. If you look at the midfield, we talked about this towards the end of last season when, we, when, when it was clear that we were turning our form around. And if you're right and we're going to keep Rice, I've got to say... A midfield three of Declan Rice, Thomas Suchek, and just in front of them in the number 10 role, uh, Pablo Fornells, feels to me like one of the best young midfields in, in the Premier League. I'm rubbing my hands right now because about three, that's, that's good enough to get West Ham at least some sort of top 10 or maybe top like 12 place position, uh, finish rather. Because yeah, as you mentioned, that's really promising. Fornells number 10 and, you know, Suchek and Rice in as a pair of midfield. And, I love I love Suchek. I absolutely love the guy. He scored twice now in pre-season. I think I'm right saying both were headers. And it wouldn't be, um, you know, crazy to say that like, he could be our top goal scorer next season. Well, you know, like Fellaini was for Moyes at Everton. Uh, we've made that comparison a few times. And I think he ended top scorer for Everton. While simultaneously, like Suchek, able to effectively play like a defensive midfielder at the same time. So he breaks up play because he gets around the pitch so well. 
but then repeatedly gets on the end of crosses and makes a nuisance for himself in the box. I think if you pair him up with Declan Rice, what you've got there is two very tough midfielders who are difficult to play against. And for nows, just seems to be getting better and better. I would say of the three, Fornells is the one with more of a question mark over him. The other two I just trust implicitly to be starters for us every week. Fornells needs to step up this year. I think we gave him a year's grace. Uh, he improved as the season went on. But he had some poor games where he completely went missing too. And you would hope that now with that season under his belt, he can start to impose himself on games a bit more. Because in that position, it's so important with Premier League defences, especially when you're away and teams just want to, uh, when you're at home and teams are just sitting back, you need someone who can sort of play those killer balls or beat someone with a trick on the edge of the box, and that's got to be Fornells, hasn't it? Another reason why I feel like Fornells struggled last season was because he's often played left left wing or right wing. I remember a game away at Everton and he was all over the place, like left wing, right wing, centre back, left back, right back. He was just everywhere. Mm. And I feel like now with Diagana in, in uh, the squad, if he can just, Moyes can just get him to play number 10, just occupy that number 10 role. Just don't go anywhere else. Just play there. I feel like we really will see the best out of him because as I mentioned, the game against Brentford where he, you know, he played good, provided the assist for Yarmolenko. He was in a number 10 role when he, when, he, when he made that pass. It's his best position. It reminds me of the way that Joe Cole used to be stuck out on the left by England. Or even when he came back to us for a spell, we would stick him there. Player who's not really a winger, but not really a traditional central midfielder either. But they kind of just stick them out on the wing to keep them out of the way. But they're never going to take it to the byline, you know. And and I think Fournells is, is really similar to that. And, and Moyes has just got to have the balls to say, right, that's your role. You play in the hole between midfield and, and the centre forward and hope that he steps up. And of course, if he doesn't, there are other good candidates for that role. Uh, not least... Of course, Lanzini, who's traditionally played there a lot for us. And uh, the other one is you could play Antonio just there off of off of Haller. Haller and Antonio formed also a good partnership as well. So that could be something to take forward into next season. But for the time being right now, I still feel like four nows should be the preferred option in number 10 role. Of course, what that does mean is that the, the, the manager has to make a choice between Antonio and Haller up front. A lot of people look at that and think, well, it's an easy decision to make. Antonio won the best player in the Premier League in the last month yeah. of last season. He, Some people could argue single-handedly saved us from relegation. So he, yeah. he's got to start in that position. But I don't think it's going to be as simple as that, is it? I think that Hallow, if he doesn't leave the club, which I think is extremely unlikely that he will now, you know, he's a £45 million signing. He's not going to tolerate sitting on the bench all season, is he? I love this conundrum, Sam. I love it because every player should be fighting to win their jersey. It shouldn't be like some sort of given right for you to play week in, week out. And over the past few seasons, you could say West Ham's sort of been a club where like players know they're playing every, every game. And if you have a bad game, you know you're playing again. No one's really going to say anything because you're the only option. But... As you mentioned, in terms of that lone striker role, Alejo Antonio, who's it going to be? We don't really know right now, but that's good. You want it to be a thing where, like, you know, the players are second-guessing because that drives competition. They're going to push each other on in training now because they want they want to be the main man to lead West Ham. So I, I feel like it's a good thing. I really do. I think you're right. And also, you look at, let's say, if uh, Haller starts uh, as a centre-forward, Antonio is not just fighting for that position with four nows, but he also would put both Bowen on the right and Diangana on the left. 
uh, under pressure too, wouldn't he? Because he can play on either of those wings. And that's the beauty of having someone like Antonio who's versatile. He can also play right back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a problem yeah. as well. But yeah, it's great to have that option. Really good to have that option. And one player we, we haven't mentioned yet, Martin Noble, he's going to miss yeah. out by the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if we're right, I mean, I mentioned casually there, Bowen and Diane Garner to be the starting wingers on either side of Haller. Do you think that's about right, judging by pre-season? Yeah, definitely about right. And, and when you think about it, they both have pace. So mm. our, our strength could be in the wide areas next season, which is very promising because we'll be we'll be a threat on the break on, on the counter-attacks. And that's, yeah. always, that's always a good thing. And if Haller just start up front, he's going to have pace sitting around him now, which is always a good thing. I mean, the thing about Haller is that his best form, as you've said before, is was when he had Antonio around him. And so it's all very well having those two sending in crosses. But... Haller kind of, I feel, needs someone running off him because he gets so many flick-ons and knockdowns. But if no one's close into him in the middle, then they go to waste. But who knows? Maybe Su- yeah, it might even be Suchek could be that man breaking from midfield in a sort of a Frank Lampard role and 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 latching onto those knockdowns. You know, um, it feels like we kind of agree. Uh, on what this starting eleven is going to be. The biggest question mark, I guess, is over who's playing centre-forward against Newcastle on Saturday because Antonio, it would be well within his rights to be absolutely fuming after what he did at the end of last season if he doesn't get the nod ahead of Haller. How do you think it's going to go? Well, there's one thing I forgot to mention. Um, a game against Brentford, Antonio limped off with what appeared to be like a hip injury. He limped right. off, so... Hopefully it's not a serious injury and he'll be like fine for the for the Newcastle game. But that is, you know, element of caution because we know what it's like with Antonio and his injury problems. So hopefully it's nothing too serious. Another player that didn't even get a mention of looking in our discussion of the team there was uh, Jack Wilshere. I, I believe one still the highest paid player at the club, certainly in the top two. You saw him play against Brentford yesterday. Uh, what did you think? It's going to pay me to say this, but I feel like Jack Wilshere's days are numbered as a West Ham player. He was so anonymous against Brentford, honestly. There was one point in the game I was like, is Jack Wilshere even playing? That's how he, he had no influence whatsoever. And because uh, when, when he when he was, when Moyes named Wilshere the starting eleven, you thought, oh, you know, this is this is good. Nice to see Wilshere, you know, in the starting eleven. Hopefully, have a point to prove and show, you know, I'm still a good player. This is what I can offer. And in the 45 minutes Jack Wilshere played, I didn't see that at all. I didn't see it one bit, and. There's been interest from like clubs at MLS, and we've discussed it in like previous podcasts. You wonder whether you know that could be his next his next step now because in terms of like influencing games in the Premier League, I don't think I don't think Jack can do that anymore. And the problem is, which is a problem with all these players we've got. I think we you know the club and a lot of fans obviously thought at the end of last season, okay, we haven't got much money to spend, but we've got so many players that we can clear out, raise funds, and start again. But the problem is. These players, and Will Shears, the prime example, were brought in on huge wages and they failed to deliver. And therefore, they're not going to leave. Why would they leave when no other club is going to match their wages? Uh, so we're stuck with a lot of these players. That's why no one's coming for Antonio or Halla or Yarmolenko, right? And, and, and most of all, Jack Wilshire on huge wages. And you know that from what you said, when he does play, he's not putting up any trees. But most of the time, he's not playing anyway. Uh, it feels to me that the only solution for West Ham is going to be similar to the embarrassing situation we found ourselves in with Roberto, whereby we effectively pay another club to take him off our hands. 
I mean, Roberto, we're told, he's gone to Real Valladolid and we're playing about 65% of his wages just to keep him away from Rush Green because <laughs> he's bad for morale. Um, I, I wouldn't say Wilshire. don't get me wrong, I'm not putting Wilshire anywhere near the, the um, category of Roberto. But still, you know, I think if, if he goes, he's on 100k plus a week. If he goes to to uh, America, we're going to have to end up paying some of those wages, aren't we? And in a situation like that, ultimately the player's in control because the player's like, hey, you pay me such and such wage. It's not my fault. This is what you wanted to offer me. So this is what another club's got to offer me. Like, I'm not going to take a pay cut. And obviously I know this is like completely different in terms of wage structure, but we've seen it at Rumble with Gareth Bell when he's under some, some ridiculous wage, no one's going to come in for him because no one can match that. He's like, I can play golf, I can do whatever I want because <laughs> this is what you're paying me. So, yeah, regarding the player like Rosha, if you have a bad game, he's like, well, you're still going to keep paying me. Another club's not going to come and pay my wage as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating for a club at West Ham because you want to like give another player that sort of role, a young player like Conor Coventry, for example, or Josh Collin, who impressed against Brentford. So, yeah, so it's a difficult one for West Ham. Yeah, I think both of those are going to get a chance this season, aren't they? Uh, Coventry in particular sounds very exciting. A lot of people say that he came through same same youth team as, um, as Rice and was often, in those days, considered to be ahead of Rice in the pecking order. So, uh, and he actually played right back in one of those friendlies yeah. last week where he apparently he'd never played before, but he they, they asked him to play there and he put in a very good performance. So, I'm really excited about seeing him. I know that Charlton fans spoke quite highly of Josh Cullen. Uh, no ball's not going anywhere. So I think, you know, we are covered in these positions, aren't we? Yeah, most certainly. And there's one player, right, who's getting no mention whatsoever. He features on the bench quite a few times toward the end of last season. And in my opinion, I feel like he's a better version than a kind of country. And his name's Alfie Lewis. Alfie Lewis. Yeah, Alfie Lewis. He's a really good offensive player. The thing with Conor Country is good, but he's more he's more defensive minded. He's not really gonna like score much goals. But Alfie Lewis, he will score goals. He'll provide assists. Right. And obviously, as I mentioned, we saw Moyes put him on the bench against Chelsea. He came off the bench against Ipswich, if, if I'm right in saying as well. So he's another player no one spoke about, but he can also like hopefully get a chance. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash athletic and pay the postage of £4.95. And, as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to our show, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's ten free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands and they deliver your beer straight to your front door. You don't even need to leave the house. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and... A beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to beer52.com slash athletic to get your free case. And don't forget, right now, listeners get two extra free beers. The more we talk about it, the more excited I get. But I've got to tell you, I always get like this at the just yeah. before <laughs> the start of any season. No matter what's happened, I convince myself that West Ham are on the verge of a superb season. And obviously, you know, you don't need to know much about Premier League football, the history of West Ham, to know that, you know, I am 99% of the time completely wrong. I think last year, at one point, in a moment of characteristic madness, 
I said, uh, I think West Ham will probably win the league, to be honest. I think I said that a few days before the season started. Um, oh, I goodness. just convinced myself that we were going to do a Leicester and that Haller was going to score 40 goals for us. Um, but I hadn't really seen him play much at that stage. But having said that, I am excited by all these young players you're talking about. I'm excited by the fact that we've named our first team and haven't even given mention much to the likes of Felipe Anson and Yarmolenko who, of course, are going to be yeah, very decent substitute wingers, you know, to, to be able to bring off the, the, the bench as impact subs if they stick around. I think it's um, quite exciting. And also, you know, they brought in Stuart Pearce back to the coaching team. And, you know, Kevin Nolan and the rest of the lads seem to have been, you know, really inspiring the players towards the end of last season. And so I sort of think it, it feels like a good setup for these young players coming through because they're surrounded by a, a lot of very experienced Premier League operators, aren't they? hundred percent. And, and it's always good to have, you know, a good backroom staff. Mm. We saw it when like the glory years at Man United when um, Ferguson was in charge. He had a good backroom staff. And it's good to have that because let's say for example, the players I want to talk to more is they have Kevin Nolan who you could talk to. He played he play for West Ham. They have Stuart Perth they could talk to. Mm. You know, mm. and they have Paul Nevin they could talk to who played overseas and has, you know, a different range of like playing career like, and advice you can give to players. So it's always good to have different airs. And- i tell you what else as well, Rashane. I like Moyes. I mean, you've Me met too. him several <laughs> times, haven't But no, you've always said it as well. He is a likeable bloke. And I can imagine that playing for him is probably quite pleasurable. And we're, we're there talking about these disastrous purchases we made, such as, you know, Roberto and Jack Wilshere. You know, players who we got lumbered with, who it was clear were, you know, were bad signs at the time. Everyone knew Jack Wilshere was a huge gamble, especially on that kind of money. This was all done under Pellegrini, who was an old man who didn't seem that particularly interested or passionate. And it was very little wonder looking back that a lot of good players didn't really get motivated by him. You compare him to Moyes. And you think, okay, Moyes doesn't have the Real Madrid pedigree, but Moyes is the sort of bloke that I can imagine being able to put his arm around these young players and make them feel a million dollars before they go out onto the pitch. The great example is as the goal Declan Rice scored. I'm going to say it was against Watford. I can't remember yeah, the long way. Shot. It was, yeah. And he ran, he ran to the touchline and hugged David Moyes. I always mention that because I, I did not see one player run to the touchline to hug Pellegrini. No. <laughs> I didn't see one player do that. So, and it wasn't just David, Declan Rice. They all embraced and that was really good. And if I look at a bigger picture right, in terms of West Ham not signing anyone, obviously fans are frustrated because you see other clubs signing players. But I feel like the board will look at and say, David Moyes has been in a situation twice where he's had no money to spend and, he, and he's kept West Ham up. It just happens to be a thing where he can turn a bad situation into a good one at West Ham. So if we don't sign anyone, obviously it will be immensely frustrating and not, not ideal. But it just happens to be a thing where Moyes... Like it just takes turns a bad situation to a positive situation. Whenever he does associate anything at West Ham, so yeah. And what's fascinating is you're right, and he's never had the chance to do it with a proper contract and a whole season to run at. So this is the first time we get to see him do that, and uh, I feel you know I feel reasonably confident. I'm not going to make the same big predictions that I did last year. <laughs> that was obviously insane, but I feel I feel more confident just talking to you, Shane. You have that impact on me. Um, is it worth us talking about transfers? I mean, at the moment, as I understand, you've mentioned Duffy, but the, the cupboard's bare. There's no money. Um, if we're going to sign one player by the end of the window, it would probably be a left-back, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, that's, that's, for my opinion, that's the priority. That's a sign of left back. In terms of one player, it was interesting uh, a right back from Slavia Prague called, I think I might say the pronunciation of his name is Vladimir Kofal. I believe it's pronounced, but the valuation was unrealistic for West Ham. Savio Plague wanted like eight million for him, and West Ham were like, "That's not happening. <laughs> right, it's not happening." But barring that, yeah, very much activity on the transfer front. We've seen departures in uh, Yeti and Hugo. Uh, just want to point out, by the way, Yeti scored two goals, two games for Celtic. <laughs> you know what I mean? And obviously, Hugo scored on his first start in prison for Norwich. So. You know what I mean? Well, what? good luck to them both. I mean, neither of them ever got a chance at West Ham, to be fair to them. Um, but there was probably because they were, it was a little bit, the Premier League was a little bit above their level at this moment in their careers. Who knows, they might come back one day and prove players. But I don't really, even if they do score lots of goals, I mean, I think, you know, the, the Championship and the Scottish Premier are not, they're, they're not the same standards as the Premier League. So good luck to them. I hope they have good careers. But I don't, I, I'm not going to be missing either of them. I do think that we need to sign one more striker because we've only we've got really just one striker at a club. Antonio, as good as he was, that is not his position. He's just willing to play there and he does it very well. Uh, clearly, we need to sign someone as backup. Unless, I don't know what you think of uh, Zande Silva. Who, who, of course, is now back healthy again, has, has played a couple of games in pre-season and, and some people rate him good enough to be a backup. Well, he, he's back again, but if I'm, if I'm reading in between the lines, I don't think Moyes fancies him, to be honest. Right. He played, I think he played 19 minutes. No, yeah, he did play 19 minutes uh, at Wickham, but he wasn't even in the matchday squad uh, yesterday against uh, Brentford. It wasn't nowhere near the bench, wasn't even at the stadium. So he's not, according to my knowledge, he's not, he's not injured. So you look at you thinking he needs to leave because he's 23 now. He hasn't really played many first team games. So, yeah. So he's obviously not the man for the job. I I, I reckon we'll get a loan in that position, don't you? Yeah, I reckon reckon as well. A loan in that position. But the thing is, right, if you look at it, it's it's always tough to come in as like a second choice option uh, striker at West Ham. It, It just doesn't work out. You know, the days of like Tony Martinez, for example, Lucas Perez, it just doesn't work out. I mean, obviously, what happens is that player goes on as like, you know what, West Ham didn't play me, I'm angry now, and I'm going to do well. It always happens. Like, it happens all the time. Do you know what? They always get played in a November Tuesday <laughs> night. It's Tuesday night. It's bloody freezing, right? And we're playing against a League One or League Two team, right, in the Carabao. And someone uh, and that that player gets his chance. That backup striker gets his chance, and he plays, and he stands up front on his own in the freezing cold, always wearing gloves. Right, at a small ground somewhere in uh, in provincial England. Right, he gets three touches of the ball because he's completely isolated for the whole game, and we crash out two nil, humiliated by the way. And that is the destiny that awaits any reserve striker that gets signed for West Ham this summer or any summer. It's just the way things work. And then they'll leave the following summer and complain and say they were never given a chance. And that, that's just the way it is. But so many clubs have to say, I mean, it's like Spurs have been trying to sign a backup for Harry Kane for years. But how can you get a decent player when they know they're not going to start, you know? Okay, well, we won't get ourselves excited about any potential transfers. Um, I know you stuck a poll up about fans' predictions or, or um, you know, speculations for the season ahead. Uh, how did how did that come out? Yeah, Ox West Ham fans. Obviously, I know there hasn't been much activity in the transfer front. 
And I was like, a lot of it will depend on the work West Ham managed to do between now and October 5th. But I was like, you know, what are some of your thoughts ahead of, uh, what are some of your predictions rather ahead of the new season? So the options were top 10, mid-table, tough but will survive and relegation. And there were over 500 votes and the, the winner was tough but will survive, which mm. was pretty much last season. So, <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I voted in your poll. Oh, okay. And I, I voted tough but will survive. But, over the last 48 hours, I have revised my decision. <laughs> I know I'm not allowed to vote again, but I am in the privileged situation of co-hosting this podcast with you. Yeah. And so I can tell you now that I have revised it to mid-table. Largely on the basis of the conversation we've been having here this yeah. afternoon. I honestly think West Ham are good enough to get like, they can finish 12th in my opinion 12th, 12th. place yeah, yeah. It's I feel like 12th yeah, yeah mid-table I feel like West Ham could do that I mean I, I would give a shout out to the f- the 4.6% who voted top 10 because mm. you know you guys, you guys are full of optimism and that's good to see but realistically yeah mid-table would be great for West Ham I think that if we managed to get above 12th it would be a gargantuan achievement that said if you look the players in every position, if they all... I mean, so much of any team season is down to injury. So if you look at Liverpool for the last two years have suffered very few key injuries, you know. If you look at their top players, Mane, Salah, Van Dijk, Alisson, these players have barely been injured at all for two years. If you look at Leicester when they won the league, they picked the same 11 week in, week out. You know, if West Ham got off to a good start with the 11 we've discussed today and they all built up some momentum, then those are 11 players who are more than good enough to finish in the top 10 of the Premier League, in my opinion. But if we start getting injuries or our confidence gets knocked because we have a couple of bad results and then some of the young players in particular might lose their confidence, that's when the trouble might start. I do feel a bit more confident and we have had another um, a little bit of a boost to club morale this week, which we might as well get a mention in for, which is the launch of a uh, spectacularly chic third kit in resplendent back and gold. What do you make of that, Rochelle? I actually like it. Good, I actually it? like it. It got, it got a mixed reaction on Twitter. But did it? For me, yeah, it got a mixed reaction on Twitter. People were saying, like, what on earth is this? This is garbage. Uh, but I was like, no, it looks good. Like, you can never go wrong with black and gold. You know that song? Black and gold, black and gold. I don't know that song, but I'm going to look it up. That's no, a good combo. It's a winning combo, black and gold. Um, I'll tell you something about the new kits, though, mate. I'll give you an insight to my glamorous summer that I've had. So we were going away for our yearly uh, family holiday in the Isle of Wight, and there's one beach we go to every year, like the whole family. We were socially distanced this year, obviously, and uh, every year there's a few different areas of the beach, very common at a lot of British seaside resorts, that sort of have clubs. So, like, there'll be a group, there'll be a family who come every year from Burnley, right? And there'll be another lot who from Everton. And there'll always be a few shirts. In fact, the Burnley lot sometimes have a flag up. And occasionally you might see a Spurs fan. And uh, so I, in the summer, I tend to get more partisan than I am actually in the football season. I don't know why. Um, so I said to my son, he was he, he was saying that he wanted a, a new home shirt for his birthday in November. But I couldn't wait, Rochelle. Because I couldn't bear for other kids to be wearing their colours on my beach and my son not to be. So I bought him on a whim, just before we went, I bought him a home shirt. Then we got down there and on a whim, whilst I was on the beach on the first day, 
from my phone I ordered to be sent to me at my Isle of Wight address and away kit for myself, right? <laughs> now, it was it was a large, which is my traditional size, but I've got to say, when I put it on when it arrived the next day, it was slightly too figure-hugging because it's not that I've put on weight with Shane, it's just that shirts are cut a lot slimmer than they used to be in the old days, right? That's how oh, the players wow. like them, right? That's what I'm telling myself. So then I went even more mad. I don't want to make out that I'm like, you know, the, the king of Siam with endless riches to spend. I'd just gone mad. I said to my daughter, do you want this West Ham shirt? It's a bit too snug for me. And then I bought myself another one in extra large. <laughs> and the whole family were on the Isle of Wight beach in Shanklin Seafront, all in colours. And I don't know how I feel about it now. I look back at, at, as an episode in my life where I might have been struggling with yeah. a few emotional issues. Um, but, you know, what's done's done. There are three yeah. replica shirts in the house now. Um, and obviously, the, I suppose the main moral of the story is I shouldn't have rushed into it all because this was yeah. long before the third kit got announced and that's the best one. Yeah. So Yeah. I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't been stalking your Twitter account. Mm. Okay, okay, in fact, I have, I have been, in fact. Not I'll confess. Well, is, is that why your eight-year-old son called you a lazy cow? <laughs> <laughs> my son called me a lazy cow for other reasons that I can't oh, remember no. but yeah he did come out he's only eight and he said I asked him to do something I think it was make me a cup of tea and he said why don't you make it yourself you lazy cow <laughs> now I don't know where he's got that phrase from because it's certainly one I'd never dare to use in the presence of my missus so I don't know what he's been watching um, but there you go that's a glimpse into the Delaney family summer um, Rashane I'm excited about next week. We're going to get back together then, aren't we, and talk about um, a, a proper Fulham Frank uh, season preview. Unbeaten so far in pre-season, so so far so good on that front. Yeah. And yeah, hopefully, yeah, season that much better from last season. And as I always mentioned in previous podcasts, hopefully season where we see West Ham do much better in cups, yeah. competitions. Let's hope so. All right. Well, we'll be back again for a, a proper in-depth preview of the season next week. So please join us then. This has been You Irons, the West Ham podcast from The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. He's Rashane Thomas. Come back soon. And in the meantime, remember, ladies and gents, there's only one Samasia Boo. 